You're listening to Japanese Baptist Church in Seattle, Washington. So the past couple of weeks, I've been preaching on what I'd call sort of like the fundamentals. Uh, the fundamentals in the sense of like these are the, the foundational understanding of the church. So who am I? What's my calling? Right? Why does the church matter? And today I want to talk about one of the most important things for Christians is how can I be a disciple of Jesus Christ? How can I live in the way of Jesus Christ? So when I think about the word discipleship, I read in the Bible that this is absolutely essential to following Jesus. In fact, in the Great Commission, as some of you know, at the end of Matthew, Jesus says, go out into the world and preach the good news and make sure they're, um, and make disciples of the nations, not just your friends, of all people, of all backgrounds. And uh, as some of you know, when I came to JBC, I said from the beginning, and I've been saying for three years since, is that I really feel the calling for JBC, but all Christians, all churches everywhere, is that we are called to love God, love our neighbor, and to be disciples of Jesus Christ. But something kind of happened this year. I, I began thinking just honestly, you know, Seattle is a city that there aren't many people who grew up in the church, maybe not familiar with the church. So when I say be a disciple or make disciples, some people might be like, what is a disciple? That's kind of a churchy word. Now, for me, growing up in the church, it's a, a very obvious word. You know, I, I didn't even think to translate it. But I realized maybe I need to think of a new way. And I tried to back away from, like, what I call, like, Christianese <laughs> and tried to think, like, what is it? What is a disciple anyways? And this, is, this sermon is a bit of my kind of way of thinking about discipleship, using being true to what the word says, but then trying to figure out what are words that make sense to me. So I thought what I'd start to do with today is to talk about what discipleship is not. Discipleship is not moral excellence. Some people think that being a disciple of Jesus Christ means that you are just like, uh, you never make a mistake. You are someone who is a very upright citizen. And actually, if you study the scriptures, that is not the definition of discipleship. Now, there is a call to a higher level of morality and obedience, but there's a value system that's underneath that. So I don't think the end goal of discipleship is moral excellence or obedience necessarily, how some people regard it. Um, when I was growing up uh, and I was in youth group, I think a lot of kids were pushed into youth group because... The parents just wanted them to be morally excellent, but nothing else. Just be good kids is what they wanted. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is also not extreme church participation. I used to think this too. Wow, that person's a great disciple for Jesus. Look at all the stuff they're doing. They're volunteering for this. They're doing that, signing up for this. Pastors would begin to say, that's a great disciple right there. But that is not necessarily what discipleship is. Discipleship is also not zealous evangelism. What I mean by zealous evangelism is where you take every opportunity you can to tell people about the four spiritual laws and try and convert them as fast as possible and as quickly as possible. While the zeal is appreciated, that is not the fullness of what Jesus is about. No doubt, part of discipleship is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, but that is not the fullness of discipleship. 
I thought long and hard about this. And when I came down to it, I thought discipleship is living in the way of Jesus Christ. And as you can see, um, Sarah Kane, our resident artist from last year, she wanted to do a community artwork piece and she created uh, these banners. And on the back of our sanctuary are these words, living in the way of Jesus Christ. So a lot of my models for talking about discipleship often come from, I'll just be honest, they come from like old dead white men from Europe. You know, a lot of the theologians that I studied in seminary is that, and I began to think like, is there another way that I can think about this? And I came across um, a teaching from another uh, Caucasian male, but it was, it was kind of fascinating to consider. Uh, his name was Mark Scandrett, and he was in uh, San Francisco at the time. I'm not familiar with the rest of his works, but he did write this article once, and he talked about thinking of discipleship like a dojo. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And then I also went to an Asian American consortium uh, where they talked about how we could think of discipleship as like Taoism. And I was like, what? This is all very strange to me. These two Asian references. But before you get a little concerned about where I'm going with this, let's back up a little bit. Now, if you know your kanji, which is your Chinese characters, you know that in Japanese, uh, do means roughly way. And in Chinese, the same character means Tao. That's where we get Taoism. Taoism literally means uh, the study of the way. Dojo, uh, a rough translation would be a place of the way. And this is a place where you would go somewhere and you would study to train, you know, martial arts such as Kendo, Judo, Aikido, right? The, the Do there is the character for the way. Um, and the understanding of dojo, admittedly, people have used it uh, coming from an Asian background, right? It's a place under a bow tree where it's said that Saka, um, Sakyamuni, who's the Buddha, attained his spiritual enlightenment, right? And according to that understanding, the dojo is where you practice and train in the way of anything, really, so that you can gain some enlightenment. A modern version of dojo would then be a place where we discipline ourselves and invite ourselves into a place where we will be transformed for the better. Now, if you use this understanding of dojo, this place of the way, it can actually be anywhere. Uh, it could be a street, could be a gymnasium, could be a classroom. And the whole understanding of the dojo is that you respect the place that you are studying this way, this way of enlightenment. That's why if you've ever done martial arts, when I was younger, I studied a little bit of judo, dabbled in Aikido very briefly. But one consistent thing, wherever I went across the world, I tried it in Japan, I tried it in Canada, you know, if you go in the US, one consistent thing about the dojo is that you have to bow. And the reason why is that you respect that this place is a place that you are going to be transformed. And something kind of clicked for me. I remember growing up as a kid, uh, my dad was always very very serious about the sanctuary. He said, this is not a place where we just throw away stuff. We want to be careful about the sanctuary. Now, back then, I thought the sanctuary had magical powers, but for my dad, it was just a place of deep respect. In fact, whenever he came to speak at the pulpit, he would always take off his shoes as a reverence to say that we are on holy ground. He, would, he couldn't stand it if he saw kids just playing or like lying down on the pews and not caring about stuff and 
making a ruckus or something like that because he said, like, this is a holy place. Now, I'm not saying that we should all subscribe to this necessarily or we have to bow before coming to the sanctuary. But I think there is something to be said is that do we have a space in our lives that we study the way of Jesus Christ, that we recognize that we are coming into a holy place? I think in this space where we're doing all this work from home and uh, it seems like, you know, I'm working in my, my bedroom, my bathroom, <laughs> my living room, my kitchen, wherever, um, I think it's really important to realize that if we want to begin this special way, do we have a special place in our lives where we allow ourselves to be transformed? For those of you watching from home and can't be here, perhaps for a moment, could you just say, Lord, this living room where I'm watching the TV or this office that I'm in watching on the laptop, for a moment, God, I just set it apart and I want to acknowledge that you are here in this place. That's why I pray before every service and I welcome us in prayer to do that. Interestingly, this is not that far off because did you know that the first Christians in the book of Acts were not called Christians? They were just called followers of the way. Is that interesting? They were literally called followers of the way. They were a community grounded in actual physical space. They had a shared way of life. They had a practice that was informed by their beliefs and their values. So when I say, come, follow the way of Jesus Christ, it means that we must release our old ways of community. We have to release our old ways of living and practice now that we know who Jesus Christ is. When we look at the life of Jesus Christ, we need to ask ourselves the questions, how did Jesus live? And how can I live in the way that Jesus did? How can I live in that dough of Jesus? Some people make fun of it, but I think there is really something to that phrase that caught on, I guess, in the 90s, like, what would Jesus do? There is something to that. To live in the way of Jesus is to ask ourselves in every situation, what would Jesus do? Now, obviously, the problem with this question and the way sometimes people ask it is you have to realize that Jesus was uh, in the first century and we are not. So we have different questions that Jesus might have, than Jesus might have had in, in Jesus' time. But what is the spirit of Jesus applied to where we are in our current situations. You see, I believe that when we have faith in Christ, when we believe that Christ came to this world as fully man as fully, and as fully God, in Christ we found salvation. That in Christ, he took on the brokenness and the sin of this world, and when he died, all the brokenness of this world died with him. And when he rose again, we are offered a new life. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we are called to a new community through Christ. So that's kind of the quick answer. But I want to tell you that redemption and resurrection are not these philosophical abstract things. You will not get into the kingdom of heaven by following a divine SAT. It will not be a trivia answer. It is like, did you use all the right words? Did you use all the right definitions? You see, salvation is made true through what we practice and how we hold ourselves in this life. And that, friends, is what discipleship is. You see, you can believe a lot of things. 
But Christ is not looking for believers. Christ is looking for disciples. Which dojo do you want to be a part of? Which school of the way do you want to take part in? The dojo of the world or the dojo of Christ? In Christ, we learn that this way is going to cost everything. It's going to require a surrendering of all that you took for granted. Yet the very people who try and hold on to everything will actually, in the end, lose everything, as we read in today's scripture reading. Just as Christ died, we are, we are called to die to ourselves and to find a new life in Christ. Now, if you're thinking, that sounds pretty radical, that sounds pretty uh, off-putting, could you make it a little softer? Unfortunately, I can't. And this is exactly why many people left following Jesus. We read that there are crowds and multitudes who follow Jesus. But when Jesus laid down this message, if anyone wants to follow me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross. For them, in this unjaded, unreligious time, for them, when Jesus said that, he says, if you want to follow me, you must die. Other people were asking, what, what does it take to follow Jesus? And Jesus was saying, it's as radical as being born again. And people were so confused at this language. They're like, what, do I come back from the womb again? And Jesus is saying, yes, it is that radical. It is so radical, it is like having a new life. Many will come to agree with Jesus, to be okay with Jesus, but not everyone will be a disciple of Jesus. Not everyone will walk in the way of Jesus. You see, Christianity doesn't come alive with theological arguments, philosophical principles, intellectual understandings. It comes alive and is proven real through the way in which we live. While, yes, we do have our theological grounding in the Word of God, God came to us in the flesh, in real-world practice. That is why we read the parables where Many will come to say, Lord, Lord, we know you, but Jesus is going to look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you because I saw the way that you lived your life. I saw the way that you treated others. To go even further with this, if you look in the letter of James, James says that even demons believe in God, but at least demons shudder out of reverence. There are many who say, yes, I believe this, I believe that. But James says, faith without works is dead. But somehow we live in a world where we talk about faith like it's a, a set of intellectual principles. Theology is never the end. Theology is there to empower us to address the world around us. And a question for all of us we need to ask ourselves is, does your theology move you into the world to be the light of Christ? Or does it move you to escape the world and hide in your own Christian bubble? One theology professor profoundly said, theology goes where the pain is. Does your theology care about the pain of the world? If your theology does not move you to true worship and daily practice, then your theology is dead. If I can say another way, if you study kendo, all your life, as much as you can, but you never go to a dojo once, then you know nothing about kendo. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2 says this, 
If I have the gift of prophecy, it can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. You know, I remember talking to someone recently and they were talking about how there was just a lot of things in the news and just felt very overwhelming. They just felt really concerned, afraid, and they just wanted to hear the hope of Christ. How is it speaking into our real world? And they wrote to the pastor about that. And the pastor wrote back and saying, you know, when I look out my door, um, I don't know, I just feel a lot of peace. I think we're okay. I don't think we need to talk about that stuff. There is a temptation right now right now, for us to make our theology so irrelevant, so, so inoffensive that no one is changed and no one benefits. But we feel smug in that, well, at least I'm spiritual somehow. If we are saved by Christ, if we are saved by grace, redeemed by Christ's mercy, and if we don't live out our life as a person of grace, then maybe we didn't really get the message. If we are not eager to give redemption and mercy because we have received redemption and mercy, then maybe we don't fully believe like we think we do. If you say you know Christ, but do not enter into the way of Christ, then your faith needs to be re-examined, which is exactly what James is saying. And I think James goes even a little harder on that. To be a Christian is to be a follower of the way. My desire for JBC and myself in my own life is that I simply am not a believer, but I am one who lives in the way of Jesus Christ. I don't know what happened, but I think one of the greatest diseases, literally diseases of the Christian church today in America is that we have created a culture that seems to show that belief and your actions have some distance between them. That the ones who are truly zealous in doing and living like Jesus in this world are, are considered the on-fire Christians and they're the, the truly exceptional ones. But most of us are the baseline. As long as you've got the, the main basics of knowing what you're supposed to believe and you attend church well, you're okay. But friends, that's, that's just not in the Bible. To truly be a part of the kingdom of God, we must become ones who follow in the way of Jesus Christ. How can I become a disciple of Jesus Christ? I'm not asking for moral perfection. Christ does not look at you today condemning you, saying, like, did you add up to this or did you add up to that? But do you have a willingness, as best you can, by the grace of God, a willingness to say, God, Show me what the way of Jesus Christ is and show me how I may live in that as well. That is discipleship. How can I be a discipleship of Jesus? How can I be a disciple of Jesus? It is to have your heart transformed by trusting in Christ's salvation. And then the real work begins. Is every day saying, God, I open myself up to your leadership, to your guidance, to your partnership. Help me walk as you walked. Help me live as you live. Today, let's renew our commitment to be sincere 
faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen.